Bonjour, and welcome to the Anishinaabe History Podcast. I'm Chris Waite. Humans have been on Turtle Island for thousands and thousands of years. But when did the first humans arrive on Turtle Island, and where did they come from? What is the earliest evidence of human inhabitation of North America? Were there multiple routes and peoples who arrived on Turtle Island? Did other hominids live on Turtle Island at any time in history? What are some of the earliest inhabitation sites in the New World? And where did these people come from? You may have heard of the Bering Land Bridge. It was a landmass that connected Asia to North America between Siberia and Alaska. The Bering Land Bridge, also called Beringia, has been studied for decades. In eastern Beringia, carbon dating has shown that humans inhabited the Yukon and Alaska region for over 20,000 years. The Bering Land Bridge was where the Bering Sea is now. Nowadays, this region is underwater. Around 30,000 years ago, however, that region was actually lush with trees, elk, mastodons, and people. There were spruce trees. Genetic evidence relates native people to Northeast Asians. There was a genetic bottleneck in Beringia. It has been widely taught that humans first arrived in the Americas 15,000 years ago, when a corridor opened through the Ice Age glaciers allowing humans access to uninhabited land. That theory is wrong. There is archaeological evidence that shows that humans were on Turtle Island for much longer than 15,000 years. During the Ice Age, the sea level was lower than it is now. It may have been between 100 and 165 meters lower than today's sea level. In other words, over the past 30,000 years of human history, the world's shorelines and visible islands have changed in many ways. There is evidence that shows that humans may have arrived on Turtle Island by ocean routes in addition to the Beringia route. I wonder, what was actually happening south of the continental glaciers during the last ice age? Who were the Olmecs? They were a Mesoamerican people who lived before the Toltec and the Maya. Their civilization is dated by archaeologists to have its beginnings about 3,500 years ago. They are considered to be the first civilization by archaeological definition of the Americas. Olmec is the name given to them because we don't know what they called themselves. Olmec means rubber people in the Nahuatl language because they harvested rubber. Rubber, like the kind used in tires, can come from rubber trees. Colonizers got wealthy harvesting rubber in the early days of automobiles. Nowadays, tires have a lot of synthetic components. The Olmec were also the first people to create chocolate. Corn is an important crop in modern times that was first domesticated about 9,000 years ago in the Mesoamerican region from a grassy plant called Teosinte. This would have been before the beginnings of the Olmec. So who were the ancestors of the Olmecs? The ancestors of the Olmec are thought to have been the farmers in what is now the Tabasco region of the southern shore of the Gulf of Mexico. That farming culture can be traced back to about 7,000 years. 
Furthermore, there is archaeological evidence that people lived in that region 26,000 years ago. That would have been during the last glacial maximum. In other words, people were living in Central America during the Ice Age. That's a long time for astronomical observations to be made. Perhaps that's why later cities were built according to astronomical events. The Olmec also spread knowledge about the Long Count calendar. The Mesoamerican calendar is actually two interlocking calendars that are used for naming days, weeks, years, and people. Part of the calendar counted a 260-day sacred year. The other part of the calendar counted a 365-day solar year. The two calendars worked like interlocking gears. The Olmec had a sophisticated number system and could write dates. They used glyphs for writing. Every 52 years, the two calendars reset to their initial settings, kind of like when a clock strikes midnight. To anchor historical events to a specific date, the long count was created. The long count literally counts the number of days to have occurred since a specific event. The Mayans were able to think of numbers in terms of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and millions. What about the Olmec sculptures of people's heads? Do they depict local rulers, or do they represent African people? The largest Olmec head sculpture is over 25 tons. 17 of these head sculptures have been found. Some are about 4 feet tall, and some are about 11 feet tall. Each head is distinct and likely portrays an actual individual. The stone for the sculptures had to be quarried and hauled about 60 kilometers from the source to the site. Thousands of people would have been involved in transporting the stone. Some say the stone heads look like African people, but many others deny this as evidence of African influence. Genetic evidence shows modern African heritage, but not ancient African heritage. However, there is some evidence of ancient Australasian genetic heritage amongst modern Mesoamericans. To make a long story short, different genetic haplogroups possibly entered the Americas at different times. I'm wondering if there were three routes into the Americas, northwest, northeast, and from the south. I mentioned that Mesoamerican sites were built according to astronomical events. What does that mean? Olmec sites like Lavenza and San Lorenzo aligned their main street, the so-called Avenue of the Dead, in a north-south direction. The Olmecs also built step-sided pyramids. The later Mayan civilization laid out their cities as if they were stars in a constellation. Was it so that the earth matched the heavens? The Olmec city of San Lorenzo is an enormous human-made earthwork backfilled onto a natural plateau. Beginnings of the earthwork date to about 3,800 years ago. The plateau is 65 meters above sea level and measures 1 kilometer by 1 kilometer wide, which is 1 million square meters. The natural geography was leveled in stages by building upwards. Evidence was obtained by meticulous core sampling. Overall, the structure is about 7 million cubic meters. Thus, the earthwork plateau of San Lorenzo is seven times larger than the Pyramid of the Sun in Teotihuacan and two and a half times larger than the Great Pyramid of Giza in Egypt. 
It has been estimated that by about 3,200 years ago, San Lorenzo had approximately 12,000 inhabitants. In other words, the Olmecs were organized, sophisticated, and came from ancient origins. But the origins of the ancient Turtle Island ancestors are still mysteries to investigate. Humans have been in the Americas for a very long time. For example, Monteverde is a site on the southern tip of South America that has been dated to about 18,500 years ago. That is before the 14,000 years ago date sometimes quoted for the beginning date of the peopling of North America from Beringia. In fact, that's a difference of 4,000 years. Even if the other often quoted date of 15,000 years ago is used, that's still a difference of 3,000 years. To be clear, the Bering Land Bridge Clovis First Theory has a major archaeological problem. The problem is that there are many archaeological sites that predate 15,000 years ago. In other words, it was actually earlier that humans arrived in the Americas. For instance, Meadowcroft Rock Shelter in North America has been dated to almost 17,000 years ago. That's just about 2,000 years earlier than people supposedly entered an empty continent from Beringia. Depending on what you're reading and when it was written and who wrote it, the same site has evidence of human occupancy 19,000 years ago. The arguments about dates for this one site have been going on for decades, but even the conservative dates used by scholars are always older than 15,000 years. In fact, one archaeologist who spent decades investigating the site had original dates of 28,000 years ago. Another site is Cactus Hill in Virginia. It has evidence of human occupancy dated to 18,000 years ago. In Texas, which is part of the northern shore of the Gulf of Mexico, is the Galt site, which has evidence of human use also going back 18,000 years. How was this possible during the Ice Age? It's because of its latitude. Galt is at 30 degrees north latitude, and the southernmost expansion of the Laurentide Ice Sheet was about 41 degrees north latitude. That's a difference of over 700 miles. In White Sands, New Mexico, fossilized footprints have been found and seeds found in between layers of fossils have been radiocarbon dated to 23,000 years ago. All these sites, and others, predate the arbitrary time of 15,000 years ago. The dates have been all over the place because people don't actually know when the ice-free corridor occurred or what life might have been like within the corridor. All the literature offers is estimates and best guesses. In general, however, glacial scientists state that between 30,000 and 14,000 years ago, the ice was retreating. I've read estimates from 11,000 to 19,000 years ago for an ice-free corridor. I've noticed in my readings that glacial science also has problems with the date for an ice-free path into the New World. There's also the issue of refugia. 
Were there pockets of greenery? Possibly. It is sometimes written in journal articles that the maximum southern extent of the Laurentide ice sheet was about 40 degrees north latitude during the last glacial maximum about 30,000 years ago. But some evidence shows that the southern extent was about 41 degrees north latitude. For instance, Meadowcroft Rock Shelter in Pennsylvania is at about 40 degrees north latitude, but the southern extent of the last glacial maximum ice is thought to have been over 80 kilometers north of that site. How far south did the Cordilleran ice sheet go? There are more inconsistencies. For instance, some journal articles state the peak of the last glacial maximum was 23,000 years ago instead of 30,000 years ago. 7,000 years is a long time, even for a glacier. Don't get me started on the rate and distance of glacial retreat for the timeline that various researchers have given in the literature. I've literally done the math and the figures don't add up. In terms of North American climate during the Ice Age, research and computer modeling has shown that the Rocky Mountain Cordillera created a warm zone on its eastern side. Did the Allegheny Mountains create a similar warm zone in the Meadowcroft, Pennsylvania region during the last glacial maximum? South of the ice sheets, it is thought that summers would have been warm and winters very cold. But people adapted to these cold temperatures, especially during the younger driest cold event by sewing warm clothing. Many caribou pelts were required for one complete outfit, a parka and boots, etc. I'm not arguing against the genetically bottlenecked population in Beringia that entered into the New World around 14,000, or was it 15,000, or 17,000 years ago. I'm saying that the Beringian group was not the first group of people to be in the New World. I think that there were multiple routes and multiple waves that occurred over many, many tens of thousands of years. I still haven't answered my own question. When did humans arrive on Turtle Island? It is evident that humans were on Turtle Island when humans arrived via Beringia when the ice-free corridor opened at the end of the Ice Age. But what about the humans who were already here? When did they arrive on Turtle Island? There are dates based on genetics, linguistics, and archaeology that indicate that humans were in the Americas before 50,000 years ago. That's five zero. That's at least 35,000 years before the oft-quoted but never proven date of 15,000 years ago. Let me take you through some of the research. Genetically, there are researchers who say that due to the rate of mitochondrial DNA changes, Native Americans split from Northeast Asians as far back as 78,000 years ago. Some archaeologists say that there is evidence of human inhabitation at Monte Verde and Pedro Ferrada in South America, and that both sites are over 50,000 years old. 
even linguists have stated that many tens of thousands of years would have been necessary for the diversity of languages found on Turtle Island to have occurred. Unfortunately, a lot of these numbers are ignored in the literature, even though they are mentioned in the literature. What I've noticed is a tendency to stick with the most recent date and ignore evidence that doesn't fall within pre-established parameters. In the peer-reviewed published journal articles, this tendency is obvious when reviewing the available literature for evidence of early human inhabitation on Turtle Island. That imaginary date of 15,000 years ago still persists, although it has changed somewhat from when I went to college. Back then, I was taught that humans crossed the Bering Land Bridge about 12,500 years ago. Yes, an ice-free corridor opened up between the Cordilleran and Laurentide ice sheets, but when? How much of the continent was really uninhabitable? Knowing when humans first inhabited Turtle Island is important for many reasons. It is important to know how our ancestors lived so that we can know our culture today. It is important to know how long our ancestors lived here so that when we affirm our treaty rights and responsibilities, we are able to accurately recognize the continuous occupancy of Turtle Island. It is important to recognize continuous occupancy because a lot of effort has been made over the last couple of hundred years to erase indigenous history. The erasure of indigenous continuous occupancy is how settler colonial states assert their self-affirmed legal right to the land lived on by indigenous inhabitants. In other words, it has been argued that colonizers have had a right to the land because nobody lived on it or used it properly. That's not a valid argument. It has also been argued that the colonial state had a right to kidnap and brainwash thousands of indigenous children because their so-called primitive cultures were of no use in modern times. That's also not a valid argument. Hopefully, by acknowledging the antiquity of peoples on Turtle Island, perhaps our adaptations to various environments can be seen as ingenious rather than as primitive. That's all for today's episode. Stay tuned for more episodes in the future. I'm Chris Waite, and this has been the Anishinaabe History Podcast.